Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you two guests, one who you have heard from before. It's Dr. Jean Nelson. She is a California licensed marriage and family therapist and author or co-author of 16 positive discipline books, including the Positive Discipline Parenting Tools with her daughter, Mary, and her son, Brad and numerous experiential training manuals for parents, teachers, couples, and businesses. She earned her EDD from the University of San Francisco, but her formal training has been secondary to her hands-on training as the mother of seven, grandmother of 22, and 18 great-grandchildren. She now shares this wealth of knowledge and experience as a popular keynote speaker and workshop leader throughout the world. And with her is also... Chip DeLorenzo. Chip DeLorenzo has been a Montessori educator since 1995. He is the former head of school of the DeMariscato Montessori School, where he spent 20 years as a teacher and administrator. Chip is the co-author with Jane Nelson of Positive Discipline in the Montessori Classroom, which we're going to talk about today. And he is also a positive discipline trainer and school consultant. As a trainer and presenter, Chip has worked with thousands of Montessori teachers and parents in teaching the principles and practices of positive discipline through various workshops and lectures. He holds early childhood, lower and upper elementary AMS certifications and has worked extensively with Montessori adolescent students. Chip is the father of four Montessori children and he and his wife, Kathy, live in Jefferson, Maine. Welcome to the show, you two. It's our pleasure to be here. 
Well, and you're here because we're celebrating the launch of your new book that you have co-authored together, and it is called Positive Discipline in the Montessori Classroom, Preparing an Environment that Fosters Respect, Kindness, and Responsibility. And I was so excited when I found out that you folks have put this book together for the world because I have for the longest time thought that Montessori education and Adlerian psychology, positive discipline go together like peanut butter and jelly, like milk and cookies, like coffee and cream. And so finally to have that recognized and and fleshed out was very exciting for me. Well, that is so true, Allison. It's like Montessori uh, groups have always been my favorite. Uh, Gosh, Positive Discipline has been out, what, maybe 35 years. And they were the one audience I would go to and I didn't have to convince anyone. It's like, you know, there's in other audiences, there's yes, but, and what if, and I was punished and I turned out fine. <laughs> but with Montessori groups, they just loved it. And, and some of them were still struggling, like all of us, to know what to do with the misbehavior that also fit their philosophy, which is so similar to Adlerian side. One of the things in the book is we have a lot of quotes by both Montessori and Adler or that just say the same thing in just different words. And that's what I appreciated. Of course, I'm picking this up as somebody who comes from an Adlerian background. And yes, I have visited Montessori schools and I have spoken at Montessori schools, but I don't know the Montessori method. I I know very little about her background. So I was intrigued in reading those quotes to hear her language and how she's framing some of these concepts. So maybe Chip, can you tell us a little bit about um, Maria Montessori, like the broad strokes, because most of the people listening to this podcast podcast are probably more in my category, where it might be a little bit more of a new concept for them. Can you tell me just a little bit about her history and broad strokes on, on the Montessori method? Sure. So so Dr. Montessori was actually born in the same year as Alfred Adler. Uh, they, they knew of each other, um, and they met at least one time before. But, you know, like to use modern language, Montessori and Adler were constructivists. They, they wrote and taught and, and lectured uh, during the same time they were aware of one another. And where Adler really focused in on the, the social emotional, psycho- uh, the, the psychology of the human being, Montessori really looked at developing an educational model to help um, children develop to their fullest potential. And they both really felt like constructivists do that, that we construct who we are through our experiences in, 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 our, you know, in our environment. And so as a, as a Montessorian, you know, coming from the other side, when, when I started learning about Jane's work and about Adlerian psychology from a Montessorian perspective, I was thrilled also saying, oh, this is what we do. This, this is exactly what we're trying to accomplish. You know, most of us who are, who are Montessori educators uh, did not get into Montessori, you know, did, did not grow up in Montessori, or at least people my age. And so having you know having that that marriage was you know really important to be able to have a you know classroom management and behavioral management uh, approach towards children that um that that mirrors what we do in the classroom now, you know, my experience being just a guest speaker at um, teacher colleges or, um, you know, where they're training people for ECEs or whatever, and they have me in to do a module on class management. I remember the first time the students thought they were going to learn about how to like put up uh, proper bulletin boards and organize the bookshelves. And I was like, no, we're going to talk about how to manage behavior in the classroom. And, they, you know, here in Canada, 
it's not covered at all in basic teacher training. Was there already a module in the Montessori teacher training that covered off some approach to that? Or or was it also missing until this link has come together? Well, it wasn't completely missing. Uh, But what what was what what was happening for the longest time, which is one of the reasons why I have such passion for this work, is that different training centers for for teachers would stitch together different components of things that that the trainers themselves have learned. You know, Dreiker's book, Children the Challenge, was a staple when I was getting trained 25 years ago. So it wasn't none of us were new new to this, but it was handed out, and then that your trainers would would patch together some handouts and things and uh, give advice about things that they had done. And you know, so it sounds very similar. So what happens is that when the teacher enters into the classroom, they're uh, least prepared for the most difficult part of their job. And and the truth is, is I don't know that you can fully prepare actually a teacher for what they're about to experience in the classroom. Uh, I really prefer it actually when I do a workshop with teachers, I prefer them actually having been in the classroom for a little bit. So uh, the work that we're doing has actually has some context. And I appreciated that about reading your book that you sort of gave so many anecdotal classroom stories, but they were following the journey of a teacher who was sort of discouraged or have, had tried it their way. And then we're learning and implementing and progressing um, through the application, which I thought was, was, was great because, you know, we, we start as, as, you know, humble students <laughs> and it's, it's, it's not easy in the beginning. Well, Allison, I'd like to comment about what you said about that. Sometimes you would go to teacher colleges and they would want to know more about bulletin boards. When I was getting my teaching credentials, we were, all of us as students were so frustrated that we knew a lot about bulletin boards. We knew a lot about curriculum, but all of us were scared to death about what to do about behavior challenges. And at the time when we would ask, well, yeah, but what do we do when children misbehave? We would be told something like, put their names on the board, or that that's when, uh, what was his name, Lee Cantor's stuff was very popular, which is very punishment and reward oriented, but it was very popular in the United States. And so uh, what I have found is this is one of the reasons why teachers love this, because it gives them specific ideas about how to understand behavior and how to be um, encouraging rather than using punishment and reward. And so and so highly teachable. You know, that uh, that this isn't so many teachers go into teaching because they love children. They want to have a positive impact. They all of that is there. Um, but if you haven't had the training and the specific education that we're talking about, that the positive discipline, Illyrian Dreykersian piece can be, you're, you're really being, in a sense, set up to be discouraged because um, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and, and yet... How long is, how, what's your average training, Jane, if you were to, to work with a, a class or to, to work with a teacher to, to take on a school, um, how do you usually frame the training? Well, the, there's so many different answers to that. You know, we do anything from just introductions to two-day trainings. Chip, I think you're doing a lot of two-day, or are you doing three-day trainings? So I do a lot of two-day trainings because it fits into school schedule. And now, of course, with Zoom, we're doing uh, we're doing uh, ongoing training, so we can you know break it up over eight weeks. 
Uh, and that's always fun because people get a chance to uh, come back to class and say, hey, look what I learned. And, and even if we go in and do a two-day training where we certify people, they have a lot of experiential activities, it's really so great if there's follow-up. You know, this is one of the things that we're really stressing is um, that to that have follow-up training where, okay, we've learned this, now what do we do when we really meet with these challenges? And, um, you know, our, our teachers helping teachers problem-solving steps where teachers get together and use this 14-step process or whether it's 12 or 14, I can't remember right now. But it, a lot of teachers know how easy it is to solve other people's problems. But like, but that's the same with us parents. Gee, well, I know what I would do with somebody else's job, but when it's my own, uh, it's another matter. So that is one way to keep the, uh, the thing going, going is they follow this step where they really deal with real challenges. And there's this whole process for understanding the misbehavior, role-playing it to get into the child's world, and then coming up with many solutions and, and if, I would like to just throw this in right now. In a lot of behavior training management programs, it's what's the problem, what's the punishment, or what's the reward? And as we know, with positive discipline and Adlerian concepts, it's what's the challenge and what's the solution? Uh, and uh, getting kids involved in solutions is uh, so empowering and encouraging and effective. One, I was just to give an example to our to our listeners. Um, there's a, a one story in the book about the little boy who um, seemingly is going over to the, the the paper stack printer and picking up paper and throwing them on the floor. And and uh, it, when you first look at it, you think, well, this is a child who's got a disrespect for the classroom rules. Why is he throwing paper on the floor? This is misbehavior. And then that digging to understand what's going on behind the behavior and the boy discloses that the papers stick together and that uh, he's only he's actually following the rules because he's only supposed to take one piece of paper at a time. And his solution is to, if you drop them on the floor, the, 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 the air catches them and they separate into two pieces and he puts the other one back. And I thought it was just such a great little story about um, how we can be so quick to, to jump on, on kids and misbehavior and that we have to slow down and have an understanding of what's the useful of the behavior you know what is the child trying to accomplish that they might creatively be accomplishing in a way that doesn't meet the needs of the classroom and go from there and it's one of the things that I love the most Jane about the Adlerian model is you know we we don't just put band-aids on symptoms we don't just punish and reward those things don't get to the heart of where change happens and um, uh, the fact that you've given so many great examples through the book and, and I want to pull a little bit more out of you too, Jane, about because I we toss around this word experiential model all the time, but I'm not sure every listener would know. Your model that's so brilliant, that's been used in so many schools, and that's in this book, involves using experiential teaching styles and teaching the teachers. Um, can you just say a little bit more about what it means to, to teach experientially so the listeners really understand? Because I think it's at the heart of your the brilliance of uh, how you get through deeply to, to teachers and parents. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Allison, because I think that this is one of the reasons why positive discipline is now popular in over 80 countries, you know, we've got, and because when we get people involved in role-playing where they role-play the child, you know, the teacher might describe what is the misbehavior and then they role-play the child doing that. And then they role-play the other people doing the adults. And you can get so information because we ask, you know, the big thing we ask is in each role, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And what are you deciding? Because we know 
that in Adlerian psychology, people are, have a thought that generates a feeling, especially if it's emotionally, if it's a strong thing. And out of that comes a decision. You know, when we say, what are you deciding? A lot of things they don't know. But we say, well, what are you deciding to do? Because as Adler said, watch the movement. <laughs> you know, watch the tongue in the shoes, not the tongue in the mouth. So it really helps them go deeper into the purpose of the behavior. And, and so often the misbehavior really is a mistaken way for how to find belonging and significance. You know, we know that that's the primary goal of everyone. We want belonging and significance. And when a child gets off on a mistaken idea about how to find that, then it's often called misbehavior. And so uh, we like to call it the mistaken goal because the real goal is belonging and significance and the mistake is the, uh, finding a misbehaving way to find that belonging. And so maybe that speaks to the difference between uh, non-Montessori schools. In, in, and what I mean by that is very many teachers will say, I don't have time for this. I have to get on with curriculum. Um, my God, you ask teachers to do everything, you know, for, for these kids. Now you want us to raise your kids too. <laughs> these are the kind of rebuttals that I have when, when uh, uh, teachers don't want to get into this training. But when we look at what Maria Montessori had to say, and she, and she was very clear about a child can't thrive and take on the, the challenge of doing the educational work without the socio-emotional piece and that environment being um, already established. Am I, am I phrasing that right, Chip? Yeah. And, and to use the, the language out of positive discipline, they, you know, the you know, ac uh, the academic environment starting at three years old and even earlier and going all the way up and through the teen years is based on this idea that uh, we, we things are self-correcting. So mistakes are an opportunity to learn. And one of the things that really uh, jives with a lot of Montessori teachers is that we've been trying to do this ourselves uh, socially and emotionally. And it's so much more abstract. I mean, uh, you know, social skills and, you know, emotional skills are, they're not as concrete as, you know, a, a material. So finally, we have this, this method to work with children so that they can actually learn from their mistakes, which is what we do with every other area of the classroom. And children are, so children are constantly in a Montessori classroom, you know, using materials and, uh, and, and, and self-correcting. So they'll just, just like you would at the, uh, the back of an algebra book. And, you know, we all thought that we were we were cheating the first week of class in algebra because we, the answers were in the back. And then we realized we were really going to be graded on, on the, uh, the actual work. And so I use that example to describe self-correcting, which is the child is always going to be going back to make sure that they did it correctly. So mistakes are built in to all the materials in the classroom. And as Jane alluded to, those misbehaving children they're always going to be making mistakes. And so what, what this framework allows us to do is to be able to, the adult to be able to be that, and, and the other, the community to actually be the control of error so that children are learning from their mistakes uh, and, and being treated with uh, dignity and respect rather than, you know, blame and humiliation, which is what many of us experienced in school. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, the thing that's so funny when teachers complain that they don't want to have to raise your children, if you go back in history, the original um, purpose of education was to help children become good citizens. In other words, Adler's idea of the Gemeinschaft, if you will, 
which means social interest and being making contributions. But the other thing they don't realize is how much easier their job is. When kids are learning self-discipline and problem-solving skills and that their, their focus is on helping each other and, and this whole thing of saying, oh, I made a mistake. What can I learn from it? Instead of, oh, dear, I'm going to get caught and I'm going to get punished. It just changes everything. I mean, I, I just think one of my very favorite examples was a teacher who said kids aren't like they used to be. And I was ready to get out of teaching. I can't handle this. But after learning positive discipline, she says, oh, now I can enjoy my job again because the kids are solving their own problems and they're helping each other and they have taken away the discipline challenges. But also, I just wanted to point out that one of the reasons that we wrote this book together is Chip um, started sending me the, the, well, he did a little newsletter where he had these examples and people love examples. You know, okay, what, show me exactly like, how did this work? And he has just such great examples and, and also because he struggled in the beginning in that you mentioned, Chip, in the beginning how you weren't raised with Montessori. And so trying to really find that bridge of the old ways of, you know, punishment or reward, and it's just kind of instilled in, in some of us, and even if we don't like it. And so really having practice, I, I just love Chip's um, Example, if he had one teacher who had learned some positive discipline skills and it seemed to him like she was spreading fairy dust <laughs> until he said he had to go find out what it was she was doing. My mom was um, a, 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 a teacher and she had done her own, just her own individual training. So she managed, you know, the best she could with the kids in her classroom doing her, doing her whatever, her magic, her way. Um, but there's a real difference in terms of the impact that we can have when you can get a whole school on board and where kids stay in the same environment where, you know, they're... Every teacher and every environment um, has some of the same sort of fundamentals. So imagine you've got a child that's in the CASA program that's learning problem solving and, and class meetings. By the time that person is moving all the way through the system, by the time they get to grade six, grade eight, grade nine, I mean, th I think this is just an incredible opportunity for creating a bigger community. And then Chip, you said this also makes a bridge to the parent community that's got their kids enrolled in the school. Can, can you say something about that, that bigger community model? Yeah. Well, our school started off, you know, it was, it was me and uh, then it was another teacher. And, you know, so we made sure she learned positive discipline. And as our school grew, it didn't grow too big. We only had like, you know, 10, 11 staff, but we made sure that everybody was trained and, like, you know, like a lot of schools that practice positive discipline, the parents start asking, what are they doing? You know, like it, it does look like to them also like, you know, like magic dust, you know, as a teacher, you think that the parents are always criticizing you because that's what it feels like we're really hard on ourselves. But a lot of times they're really saying, how do they do that all day? How does she, you know, how does he or she leave at the end of the day and, you know, still look like they have some energy going and they want to know what we're doing with their children uh, because it, they, you know, their children aren't always behaving the same way at home as they are in school. So we started, you know, I started doing some of this work with the parents and it's a really, you know, I was really surprised uh, twofold. One is to see what there was such a huge demand. 
I think we only had 50, 50 parents at the, in the, or 50 families in the school when I first started doing it. And I had um, almost 20 parents. So about, you know, for about 20% of the, 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 uh, the parents came to the first workshop that I did uh, for parents. And I was, you know, we hold curriculum nights all the time and we'll get the same two or three parents um, every, every time. And then the, the other, it's the other, the rest of the parents is like a ghost town, but all of a sudden we started doing positive discipline and we found that parents are really hungry for this information and they do really respect what we do as uh, Montessori educators. And so it was really nice to see this flourish in our whole community. What's really nice is when you sit down with a parent and they're familiar with the mistake and goal chart and you're talking about their, their child and you, you're, 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 you know, you're singing off the same sheet of, sheet of music and you're talking and you're focused on the same solution with the same approach. That is a, that's a real gift. And I don't know if, um, th this is my personal hypothesis. Uh, I'd be interested to run this past the two of you, but I found too, that I wondered if parents weren't having a harder time at home with their children after being in a, um, an encouraging, positive discipline, Montessori, respectful, given responsibility environment where kids are flourishing. And then if their parents aren't on board to the same level and, you know, the, here's a kid who's been handing out snack and sweeping floors and handling problems and speaking up for themselves and being self-directed. And then they get picked up from school and, you know, mom kind of throws them on the hips and sticks a pacifier in their mouth, you know, goes home and, you know, cuts their toast in half and, uh, and infantilizes them. And I would think that, that the contrast between home and school can uh, increase such that home could be even further discouraging if the parents didn't kind of keep up with the developmental progress that the child is making in terms of being independent and responsible and, and showing up that way at school. Well, one thing I've learned about that is that children are so clever, they know how to change their behavior depending on who they're dealing with. And I have actually seen kids be really responsible and focusing on solutions in school and they go home and they act like spoiled brats do it for me because that's what works <laughs> for them at home and you know so this is why it's always better to get the parents involved so that the kids are having the same experience but you know one of the things that i've always noted too is that if children are exposed it at least in one environment they will then have a choice because they will have learned the, the, those skills. And I know I worked with one school where actually the parents were mostly mothers living in trailers that were near a prison so that they could go visit their their spouses in jail. And they the kids were learning class meetings and solving problems. And then they'd go visit their dad and said, you beat that kid up. You don't let him get away with that. And I still thought it was such a blessing that, yeah, that's one way, but then they, and most of them certainly like the problem. So it makes them feel more capable. It makes them feel more significant when they're learning to have, I just want to back up here a minute. See, we really distinguish between belonging and significance. And belonging is just the love, the connection. You can give that to children, but significance are the skills they need to learn to be capable, to be responsible, to be contributing members. And when they have opportunities to learn that, they do have higher self-esteem and feelings of capability. And once they've experienced that, you know, my hope is that that's what they'll choose long-term. 
Yeah, because to your point, I mean, it's the experience of the felt experience of knowing how rich and deep and soul fulfilling that is right. that root, that choice over the other. Exactly. And, and, Allison, and, I, and to I, your point about the longevity of the teachers and the enjoyment of the job, I, I think it was Jody McVitie, who's another um, uh, one of our colleagues out in Seattle and Puget Sound. I think when she found research that said something like a teacher will spend 70 percent of their classroom instruction time correcting behavior. And so the, which is discouraging right there. But, um, you know, when we say we don't have time, uh, the, the the you spend more time correcting a child's behavior than training them in the first place is, I think, a, a Rudolf Dreikers quote. Um, but those teachers, it, teaching would be a very tiring job if you were spending all of that time trying to, to manage kids behavior and we're doing it in an ineffective way. And and wouldn't and the same with parenting, wouldn't we? We love tuck ins when they're all quiet and calm and smell like the bath. <laughs> Not so much when they were throwing the, the sippy cup at our heads while we're driving the car, you know. Um, and if we could get more of those those positive, contributing, respectful time, whether you're a parent or a teacher, wouldn't we all enjoy getting along with our, our fellow people better? It, it just seems like such a, uh, such a good investment. Well, it, it's true. And I, I don't know of any teacher who has not really learned the depth of positive discipline who has not said it saves them time. And it actually does, because um, when the kids are solving their own problems and being helpful and contributing, and um, that is going to save any teacher time. Yeah. And so, um, Chip, with with the book, then um, tell us a little bit about so a teacher can pick this up. They can go advocate to their to their Montessori principal and say, hey, I've you know, because I'm not sure all schools know about this marriage a lot do but not not every Montessori school knows about Adlerian psychology correct yeah I, I think most are open to it uh, more and more know about it as as time goes on and I think that uh you know <clears throat> there's not too many as, as a head of school I can tell you there's not too many head of schools that are going to turn away if if they if they were brought this book by one of their teachers I think it's one of the um it's something that we've needed for a long time. Uh, that's something that's specific. I think my one of my big hopes as a, as a head of schools is that we can get the book and the training into the hands of, of schools so they don't have to, so, so that really so that there's a, a more uniform or uh, uh, method of dis discipline within schools. So not only in, in training centers is it difficult to patch something together, but also within schools, it's really tricky in Montessori schools because, you know, in a, in a more traditional public school, there are usually policies and procedures that are pretty well laid out. Uh, and the, uh, whether it's, even though it's not always conscious, there, there is a, a more uniform approach towards discipline. And so we've really been, you know, having to make it up a little bit as we've, you know, we've gone along in Montessori and, so you can go into a school and see, you know, five or 10 different teachers implementing discipline a little bit differently in their, uh, in their classrooms. This can be really difficult for an administrator because they have different teachers who are interacting with the children differently, and then they have to then support those teachers. And so it, it you know, having, you know, I can tell you as a head of school, having a uniform or, you know, a consistent discipline method that, really reflects our deepest values as Montessorians is a, 
also makes it a little bit nicer to go to work every day as a head of school. And that, you know, certainly for the teachers, one of the questions I was asked all the time, because I would, I would probably travel about 10 or 12 times a year as a head of school uh, and working with other schools. And the, the heads of school would say, well, how can you come and do this? <laughs> You're taking time off. So because my teachers all do positive discipline, nobody's in my office. Right. <laughs> well, I guess that was the other one, Jane. You said to put their name on the board and that would be the other one. Send them to the office or the, or the teachers come to the office and say, I can't I can't handle this this uh, child in my classroom. Um, I don't remember which uh, uh, educator uh, it might have been the co-author of maintaining uh, sanity in the classroom, but I remember her saying something like, "The better the the better you get at being a teacher, the more difficult students will they send your way, <laughs> because because you know how to you know how to manage them, but because we have this great psychology behind us, and we we have." research to prove its effectiveness, let alone just our own anecdotal experience of it. I think it's one of the most rewarding things in the world to see the child that comes in discouraged who uh, is presenting problems in the classroom and then watching the transformation in such short order. Uh, I think another example from the book was that the young the young girl that kept, that started the year so fine and then kept disturbing at circle time and kept hijacking and was getting involved in power struggles and once the the mistaken goal was re- revealed and the teacher could find other ways to empower the leadership skills of this little girl then of course she just uh, was one of the most joyful exciting people to have walk in the door every morning that same person that had the teacher pulling her hair out in the beginning and once you've had a few of those in your career they just become such a gratifying part of the job and those are the stories we need maybe to get out um to 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 more teachers that transformation part and i think the book does a great job of just peppering in the principles of of the montessori how they overlay with the adlerian the application and what that looks like from a method point of view and then the arc of the story that shows the effectiveness it's it's a very well composed book in that way and and then my last comment on the structure of the book for people that are picking it up and please do i'm going to put the link to the book um and the website and all those other great details will be in the show notes but you've also got the lovely reflection questions at the end of of, of the chapters too. For, you know, I think that deepens the learning. Is, is um, do you want to say something about how you've included that piece for readers? Sure. I think we stole that idea from Jane's original book, uh, which um, you know a lot of schools use to do book studies together with their with their staff, and so we wanted to make sure that that was included in there because it's. Uh, you know, be, for instance, is, it, is when I go to train a staff, it's really helpful if they if they've if they have read the book and they've done some study together. It's it's a it, 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 they makes a, such a productive time together. You know, one other thing I want to say about the structure of the book that I think makes it the most delightful is that it doesn't paint a picture of uh, everything is wonderful. Uh, because of Chip's own inabilities in the beginning <laughs> that our <laughs> teachers can relate to the fact that even though he believed in the, the Montessori philosophy and still uh, had so many struggles when it came to dealing with the misbehavior, every teacher is going to be able to relate to that. And and so it's not just painting this all its roses, but we sure know how to deal with the thorns in ways that where the roses are the most predominant. <laughs> and it makes it it makes it so so accessible. And in fact, I think um, you know, in your your conclusion is called something like 
improvement, not perfection. Sorry, I don't have it in my Kindle in front of me to pull it out. It concludes with that. Well, you know who said that, don't you? Well, so many. So who who do we give proper credit to? Tell me, Jane. Over and over. We're not interested in perfection. We're just interested in improvement. I mean, that's what uh, Dreyker's big thing was about having the courage to be imperfect. And it does take courage in our society to be imperfect and to even celebrate imperfection, which is as uh, it just brings us full circle to what Chip was saying about in the Montessori school, the mistakes are built in to learn that they're just part of the learning process. And so for kids, I love the idea that when kids say, oh, wow, I made a mistake with enthusiasm, rather than, oh, I made a mistake, you know, that's just huge. Yeah. And, 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 to, to, and to, to your point, to give that same permission to teachers to say, oh, you know what? I tried this idea at a class meeting and it flopped. <laughs> That's okay. I'm just learning too. I'll take it to my, my teachers helping teacher problem solving group at the end of the week and they'll help me through and to, to feel supported, not competitive with our other teachers who are also fumbling through their growth curve and making mistakes too and supporting one another. That to me is the culture the school culture, the school environment, that's not just safe for the kids to be, safe for the for the teachers, the parents to be imperfect. And, and how so beautiful is that if we can do it? I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because so often teachers are isolated, you know, off in their own rooms and afraid that they'll be judged if they've made a mistake instead of being free to say, wow, I can't help, I need that. And they learn that they're such good consultants for each other. That, that when they get together in that brainstorming room, they brainstorm for solutions and they've learned so many possibilities. It's just very, very encouraging to the whole school atmosphere. Beautiful. So let me turn it back to both of you to, to say, is there anything else you want to make sure that our listeners um, hear today? And of course, I'm going to encourage them to buy the book. I've enjoyed it. It's a, it's a, a, a great investment and it'll start you on your, as Jane says, life-saving journey. <laughs> but I want to make sure that I've given proper airtime to anything else you'd like to say. How about you, Chip? Well, I just want to say thanks for having us, Allison. The, the reception that the book has received and the work that we're doing is received really was overwhelming. You know, we thought it was going to be good, but it's it's really been uh, really been overwhelming. And it's uh, it's heartening to see that there are so many schools and so many teachers that are taking a hold of this and, and, and running with it. I know we just did a, uh, a video workshop uh, that, uh, that, that came out about a month ago. And I think we've, I think we've had a, almost uh, eight or 900 orders for that uh, uh, seats sold for that, which was, which was really exciting. We're going to have, uh, you, you could look on my website for chipdelorenzo.com for any, any other uh, upcoming trainings that I'm, that I'm doing. And then uh, there's information uh there as well. So yeah, thank you for asking. And how great, you know, now that we have Zoom and webinars and all this virtual stuff, you can get experts from anywhere. We know we don't need to fly people in anymore. It's it's so it's been so great. How about for you, Jane? Well, I also want to say we're happy to fly in. We love it. <laughs> You'll do both? <laughs> yeah, well, we, we just still love doing the in-person trainings and uh, especially with the Montessori audiences. So if we have more of that, I could you know, be a great career, <laughs> just where you don't have that resistance and it's just a joyous experience. So yeah, to be with those like-minded people. And my goodness, Jane, where don't you fly? I, I don't know if there's a country you haven't actually touched down in yet. I'd love to see your passport someday. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to get a bigger one. I have to tell you that. <laughs> 
Oh, well, stay safe in your travels. And again, um, for those people listening, I will make sure that you have both Chip and Jane's and the books and, and all those links up in the um, in the show notes so that you can click and learn more and participate more with these two stellar human beings. And I thank you both for your time, for the contribution of the book, for your friendship and collegiality. All the best. Thank you. And thank you, Alison. You are Thanks, always Allison. a delight. Oh, thank you. <laughs> As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.